And so if you could, so I don't, just a heads up, I do not have anything for the screen. Okay, so y'all are going to have to be looking at me a lot today. Um, hopefully you brought your Bible or your smart device or a tablet. Hopefully you brought your Bible and uh, you can follow along with me today. But if you could, go ahead and open to Numbers 13, the book of Numbers. Yes, that's in the Old Testament. Yes, I'm going to be preaching out of the Old Testament today. I hope that's okay. We're going to be taking a break from the church series today. How many of you have been enjoying that series on the church? Amen. And as a church, we are committed to God's Word. We are committed to obeying what His Word says And so next week we'll be continuing that series with another message from Pastor Matt. But we're going to be taking a break from that today. And we'll be looking at a few passages in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at our family's history today. We're going to be looking at the the Israelites today. And those of us who are believers, they are our family. So I want to encourage you as you are reading the Old Testament to realize that, that this, these aren't just some old ancient stories that we read, but this is the story of our family. And as we see uh, in Scripture, it's, it's the story of God working through our family to bring redemption through Jesus Christ. And so hopefully we can learn a thing or two from our family today. But before we read Numbers 13, I want to read uh, a few passages in Exodus. And so I want to quickly recap what led up to the events of Exodus and what got us to where we are at in our passage in Numbers today. And so the book of Genesis, it ends with all of Jacob's family through God's miraculous sovereignty, through God's miraculous providence, Jacob's family, who was also known as Israel, but Jacob, his name was changed to Israel, we're going to see how they ended up in Egypt. The, the book of Genesis ends with Israel and his family moving to Egypt. And God worked through the life of Joseph, Jacob's son, through a series of many miraculous events. I don't have time to go through all of those today, but as you can recall, Joseph was thrown into a ditch by his brothers, sold into slavery, thrown into prison, falsely accused of rape, but then God miraculously and divinely brought him into a place of authority where he could rescue thousands of people from a severe famine. And so through that, God brought Joseph's family to live in Egypt. And that's where we're going to pick up today in Exodus 1, verses 8 through 10. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many. And too mighty for us. Come, 
Let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So the family of Jacob, who was now called Israel, they had grown so large. Now this was according to the promise that God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. If if you can recall, God made a promise to Abraham and He said, through you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through your descendants, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we see that God is fulfilling that promise through the Israelites. This says that in, in verse 8 or in verse 9, that Israel now is becoming too mighty, that there's too many of them, that God is, is starting to fulfill that promise through Israel, that now the nation of Israel is multiplying. And so the Pharaoh in Egypt is realizing that this is, this is going to be a problem. And so they place the Israelites into slavery. So let's fast forward about 400 years. And Israel has continued to grow. They've continued to expand, but they've also continued in slavery. They've now been enslaved for about 400 years. And then in Exodus chapter 2, a boy named Moses enters the scene. And again, God is miraculously working through the people in this story. He's miraculously working through Moses. There was a decree that was was out that all the boys, all the Israelite boys who were born were to be slaughtered. They were to be killed. But God protects Moses and divinely places him in, in the house of Pharaoh. And so Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house. And then as Moses is, is out and about overseeing and, and out with the, the Israelites, looking over the Israelites as they're in slavery, one of them is being poorly treated by an Egyptian. And so Moses kills the Egyptian and he flees to Midian out of fear of what could happen to him. And so now I'd like to read in Exodus 3, verses 1 through 10 after Moses fleed to Midian. So if you could open to Exodus 3. I know I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit. Hopefully you're familiar with how to navigate your Bible this morning. Most, uh, Exodus 3, verses 1-10, through 10, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, Mount Horeb was also known as Mount Sinai. So just as you're reading Scripture, and and you'll see in in the book of Deuteronomy, it refers to Mount Sinai as Mount Horeb. But when you see Horeb, that's also the name of Mount Sinai. Verse 2, it says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. 
Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. It's a lot of ites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now there's a lot that can be said about this passage. There's a lot of messages that could be preached just out of these ten verses here. But what I want to focus on is verse 8 of Exodus 3, God said He would rescue the Israelites and bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. God had made a promise to Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now, in slavery for 400 years, if they were to remain in slavery, it would be hard to see how that could happen how the rest of the world could be blessed through the descendants of Abraham if they were in slavery. And so God made a promise that He would deliver the Israelites and deliver them to a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, a land that was bountiful, a land that was prosperous, a land that had everything that they needed to flourish as His people. And God was going to be faithful to His promise. God is always faithful to His promises. Amen? Amen. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the promises of God. And what I'm hoping to challenge you with today is to stand on the promises of God. God does not go back on His Word. God has never lied. God cannot lie. And so when God says that He is going to free the Israelites, we know that that is going to happen. And so God fulfills His promise and delivers Egypt out of slavery. He shows His mighty act. He shows His sovereign power in the process. As you read throughout Exodus which I encourage you to do at some point if you have never done so, you're going to see God working on behalf of the Israelites. And He does so with ten plagues that He afflicts the Egyptians with. Those those plagues are He turns water to blood. He brings frogs into the land. How many of you would like to open your pantry one morning to get a bowl of honey nut Cheerios out and frogs jump out at you. There's a plague of gnats and flies. 
The livestock die, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then finally, after all of those plagues, the Pharaoh, the, the overseer of Egypt, the ruler of Egypt, his heart was hardened by God. He still hadn't let the Israelites flee, freed the Israelites. Finally, an angel of death comes and kills the firstborn of all of the Egyptians. And so the, the Pharaoh in Egypt allows the Israelites to leave. And so God frees them <clears throat> out of slavery. God delivers his people. God was faithful to his promise. And so he brings the Israelites to Mount Sinai. He brings them to the same mountain that God originally gave this promise to Moses that he would lead them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And then they leave Mount Sinai and they travel to the border of Canaan. So while they were at Mount Sinai, God brought them to Mount Sinai. It was during this time where God gave them the law. God gave them the Ten Commandments. God gave them the, the sacrificial law because God knew that they weren't going to be able to perfectly obey the Ten Commandments. And so God provided a way for their sins to be atoned. And so all, for, all throughout the rest of Exodus and the book of Leviticus, you can read about the time that was spent at Mount Sinai where He gives them the law. He gives them the sacrificial system. He gives them the schematics for the tabernacle, which is where they are to worship God. But then... In Numbers, where we're going to look at today, God tells the Israelites, it's time to move. It's time for you to pack up camp. You've been at Mount Sinai for a year. I've given you everything that you need to know. I've given you everything that you need to be successful in the promised land. I've given you my law. I've shown you how you are to operate now as children of God. You are to be separate. You are to be holy. And so now that brings us to Numbers chapter 13. They leave Mount Sinai and they travel to the border of Canaan. <clears throat> They're on the border. They're about to enter the promised land that God had promised them, that God said that He would give them. And let's look at Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, and all of them, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. So God again reminds Moses. <clears throat> he says, send men out to spy the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Again, he reminds them that God is going to give them this land. God is going to be faithful to His promise. So Moses um, identifies 12 leaders from each tribe to go and spy out the land that God had promised them. So let's go ahead and skip down to verse 21. This again is Numbers chapter 13 that we're in. Verses 21 through 24, 
It says, So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Labo Hamath. They went out into the Negev and came to Hebron, Ahimon, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, and they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. Now, a single cluster of grapes needing to be placed on a pole is quite an astonishment. Um, how many of you have eaten grapes before? They come in a little bag, right? You don't have to send your whole family to go to HEB to come back with grapes on a pole. And so we see that this land appears to be what God had promised. That it would be full of provision. There's humongous fruit in the land. It sounds like a promising place to me. Let's continue reading on in verse 25. It says, At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of the Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan." So God made a promise to Moses. He made a promise to Abraham that he would lead them to a prosperous land, that all of Abraham's descendants would be prosperous, that they would be blessed, that they would expand as many that are on... There would be as many descendants of Abraham that are as there is sand on the shore of the beach. And God made a promise to the Israelites that He would deliver them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And the spies come back. And they say just that, that the land is just as God promised. They say in verse 27, the land it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. That's, all they should have, that's where they should have stopped right there. They should have said... Moses, we've gone, we spied out the land, and it's exactly as God had promised. God made a promise to you that this land would be flowing with milk and honey. The land is flowing with milk and honey. Let's go and let's take the land. But there's a big word in verse 28, and that word is, however. This land is bountiful, this land is beautiful, this land is just as God promised, however. And the spies looked at everything else around them and they refused to believe the promise of God. 
They refused to stand on his word. They refused to believe his promise because of the circumstances that were around them. And then in verse 30, it says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are all well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So we know that later reading in this account that there were two men of the twelve spies, Joshua and Caleb, that they believed the promises of God. They said, no, we, we, we don't care what else is in the land. We care what is in the land, and it's according to the promise of God, and we know that God will deliver us. We can take this land. Let's go. Let's take it. But the men said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. It had not even been two years since they were delivered out of Egypt, and already they are forgetting what God had done on their behalf. Of course the people are stronger than they are. But that's not what God had shown them time and time again. God had not proven through the plagues that the Israelites were stronger than the Egyptians. God had proven through the plagues that God was stronger than the Egyptians. That God was the one fighting and working on their behalf. And instead of believing that and standing on that, the, the spies were looking at themselves. They said, we are not strong enough. And so verse 32, it says, So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seemed to them. Now Joshua and Caleb, they believed in their God. They believed what God had promised. They didn't look at the circumstances. They didn't look at what was in front of them. But they looked up to who was over them. But unfortunately... The other ten spies, they won over the crowd with their unbelief. And it was to their demise. Now, as, as you will notice as you read further on, that because of the unbelief of the ten spies and because of their report and because of, of their doubt and their lack of faith and their refusal to stand on the Word of God, they persuaded all of Israel to believe that report. And they didn't, at that time, enter into the promised land. In fact, God said, because of your unbelief, the whole nation who is 20 years and older will not see the promised land. You are going to wander around aimlessly in the wilderness until everyone who is 20 years of age and older is dead. 
that this unbelieving generation, you are not going to enter into the land that I have promised. Now, he did not say, that's it, my promise is up. Nobody is going to enter the promised land. That's not true. He was still going to fulfill his promise. He was still going to give the Israelites the promised land. But the unbelieving generation was not going into the land. And so you might be thinking today, what does this have to do with me? Well, just like the Israelites, God has made promises to us. And just like the Israelites, God has given us His Word. And what are you going to do with the Word of God? Are you going to be like the the ten spies who, when adversity hits and something bad happens, you, you believe that report? You look at what's going on around you, it may be a hopeless situation, and that's what you're believing in. Or are you going to be like Joshua and Caleb and stand on the Word of God? The beginning of the book of Numbers is, is it's kind of a depressing thing. It, it, the, the first five and a half chapters, it, it covers the 38 years of wandering in the wilderness. The Israelites, the unbelieving generation, spent 38 years in the wilderness because of their unbelief. And Moses tells us in Deuteronomy that it only took 11 days to get from Mount Sinai to the border of Canaan. It only took them, it was only supposed to take 11 days to enter the promised land. But because of their unbelief, it took 38 years. And so for you, are you going to stand on God's Word? Are you going to stand on His promises? Or are you going to fail to believe His Word and wander in the wilderness? Are we going to stand on His promises? There's going to be many days in your life which... I know most of you have seen already that are going to be scary. There's going to be many days where it seems like there's giants in the land and you have no idea how you're going to conquer those giants. But don't be like the ten spies and say the giants are stronger than we are. But be like Caleb and Joshua who in a way say greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Your life might seem like it's anything but a land flowing with milk and honey at the moment. What are you going to do? Are you going to give in to the report? Are you going to let what's going on around you ruin your life? Are you going to beg like the Israelites did to go back to Egypt when things get tough? Are you going to maybe fall back into your sinful ways when adversity strikes? Or are you going to stand on His promises and take the land that God has promised you? Are you going to stand on the Word of God? So I want to challenge you today to determine to live your life according to this book. Determine to live your life according to the Word of God.
Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, He says, Everyone then who hears these words of Mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, what's interesting here is for those who build their life on the rock, those who build their house on the rock, and those who build their house on the sand, the same thing happens to them. The rain will fall, the floods will come, and the winds will blow and beat on your house. Jesus is not saying that whoever believes my words, whoever believes these words and obey it, that their, your life will be without rain, it will be without wind, it will be without storm. No, in fact, Jesus says that even if you believe His Word, that you're going to face rain, you're going to face storms, you're going to face battles, you're going to face giants. But when that happens, if you build your life on the Word of God, your house will not fall. Amen? That you will be able to stand in the storm and your house will not be moved. If you do not stand on the Word of God, you are hopeless. There, there is no hope for you because the rain is going to come, the storms are going to come, the battles of life are going to come. And if you are not standing on God's Word, you have no foundation in your life. And the giants will overcome you. You will give in to fear. You will give in to worry. You will give in to doubt. And you will try to take on the giants in your own strength and in your own power. And you will find that that is not enough. But if you do stand on the promises of God, if you do stand on His Word, there will be no giant strong enough, there will be no storm fierce enough that can overcome our great and powerful God. So I want to close today by sharing with you one of the best promises from God's Word. If we are to stand on His Word, if we're to believe the promises of God, well, what are some of those promises? Well, let me share one of, you, one of those with you today. It's in John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, it's all about Jesus saying how He is the Good Shepherd. For us today, that might be a little bit hard to understand and to grasp because a lot of us don't have to deal with sheep and taking care of flocks and shepherds. But anyways, in John chapter 10 and verse 24, it says, So the Jews gathered around Him and said to Him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. 
Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. Again, Jesus is saying, I've, I've made it clear that I am the Christ. I've made it clear that I am the one sent from God. I've made it clear that I am the Son of God, but you are refusing to believe my word. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. And here's the promise. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. How many of you are part of God's flock today? And you, you would say that He is your shepherd. Well, Jesus says that no attack of the enemy... No storm, no battle, no giant is going to be able to overcome his sheep. That Jesus is going to protect his flock no matter what. Jesus laid down his life for his flock. He died a death that we will never be, under, be able to understand because of his love for his flock. But what's important here is God's sheep hear His voice. And God's sheep obey His Word. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are in Christ, if you have been made new, you will hear His voice. And this is His voice. This is the Word that God has given us. This is what we have to hear Him. And God's sheep will be protected by the Good Shepherd both now and throughout all eternity. That is the promise that I'm holding on to. That is the promise that I'm going to stand on this morning. That no matter what I see in this life, no matter what I face, no matter what giants are in the land, I'm going to stand on the promise that I am a part of the flock of the Good Shepherd and that no attack of the enemy is going to be able to snatch me out of the Father's hand. And for the rest of my life, I know that the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, is going to protect me. And if you are in Christ today, that promise is for you as well. You can hold on to that promise. And for us, there... Like the Israelites, there's a promised land that awaits us. God has promised a land for us, for those who are in Christ. And it's a land that's way better than milk and honey. It's a land that has streets of gold. And not only that, it's a land that has the presence of God Almighty dwelling in And so I want to challenge you today. Stand on the Word. Read the Word. Know the Word. 
You cannot build your life on something that you don't know anything about. You have to know God's Word to stand on God's Word. You have to read God's Word to stand on God's Word. You have to read God's Word to know God's Word. So I want to challenge you. Challenge your house to be a house that is founded on the Word of God. That when the winds and the waves come, when the storms of life hit, that you won't look at the storm, but that you will look at the God that you serve. And that you will trust in His promises. You will trust in His Word. And that you will be able to say, you know what? No matter what I face in this life, I know that God has promised that I am part of His flock. And that no storm, no wind, no rain, no giant will be able to take me from my Father. So stand on that this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You that it is our lamp. It is the light that directs our paths. God, as we look at this world and as we look at this culture and as we see everything around us, it can be scary. It's full of darkness. It can appear that there is no light, but God, You have given us the light. You have given us Your Word that can guide us, that can lead us, that can allow us to stand in the darkness. And not just stand in the darkness, but be a light in the darkness. So Father, I pray today that Your church, Your people would make a dedication today to believe Your promises. To stand on the Word of God. That they would make a commitment today to be people of the Holy Bible, to be people of Your Word, that no matter what they come against in this life, no matter what giant appears in this life, and we know that there will be giants, that they won't be like the ten spies that look at themselves, but that they would look, be like the two spies that look at their Savior, and that they would say, greater is my God than anything that I face in this world. And God, I pray that You would be faithful to Your promises. That as we stand on Your Word, we would see victory after victory. And Lord, as You come through for us and You fight for us, that it would be for Your glory. That God, as we stand on Your Word, and as we do, we will stand apart from those that are in the world, that we would do so for Your glory that we could point people to You. We could point people to Jesus Christ. We could point people to the Good Shepherd and urge them to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that they too can take part in the promises that You have promised us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.